Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. And GM Shuffle is back. It's AV and Lombardi ready to break down all that you need to know in the world of the NFL. But also, how about the NBA last night? We're going to talk about Kevin Durant injuring his Achilles. Mike, just give us your first thought, which is the fact, why don't these bloody games start earlier? Man, I can't stay awake. It's hard. Like, i got to take a nap in-game. I mean, it's embarrassing. Like, it's really hard. How, how do you do it? Like, I mean, I, I have all good intentions, too. Like, I get there. I'm ready to go. I'm wired in. I got Mark Jackson for 10 minutes before the game, okay, which is, is tough to take as it is, right? You know? <laughs> what do you think of his outfit last night? Oh, time? my Just, God. Like, seriously. Yeah. No mirrors available no, before the game. <laughs> you know, that's what, you know, there's two things. When you grow up in a beach town, you like, when you go to the beach, remember that Miller Lite commercial where you like, the guy was sitting on the beach and he would hit his beer and the girl would walk past him again? Right. Yeah. Well, there's you want that element when you go to the beach, but then you also want to like you ask like you deserve a ticket. Like how many times had did you look in the mirror before you came to the beach? Like seriously, <laughs> like there should be like a beach enforce. I'm giving you a ticket for that bathing suit today. Like if we have beach tags at the beach, they should have beach tickets. Right. So nobody that got to tell him like, hey, I don't think it works. No. He's like, all right, sure. I think I look hot tonight. Yeah, but I mean, like last night, I mean, I, I feel badly for Kevin Durant. Like, I don't understand how people think he had a pulled calf and, you know, he tore his Achilles because of it. Like, I think Achilles tear just because they tear, right? Like, I don't think it had yeah. anything to do with the calf. I think it's just called age, right? Wear and tear on your body. Now, it'll come yeah. back stronger than it ever did before, but it's still going to be a problem. It's going to be interesting to see who's got the balls to max him out and knowing that you got, you know what I mean? Who's got it? Right. You know, the first year, you got nothing. You got nothing. No, you could just write it off. I mean, you're just going to, basically, he's going to sit next to you. Like, <laughs> I mean, that takes balls, right? It'll be the Knicks. They'll give him $200 million. No problem. It'll be back better than ever. Uh, let's dive into some NFL topics. We'll get back to Durant in a second, just and related to the NFL. But first and foremost, Mike, the Jets hiring the Eagles' Joe Douglas as their new GM. Now, this was the guy who had been rumored to be the choice, and you had said it was going to happen because he was a little bit not in the outs of Philadelphia, but kind of wanted to change. Question is this. Some of the names being mentioned, Phil Savage, Chad Alexander, among the rumored names, could join him. And I also heard Todd McShay, my old buddy from ESPN, could be in the mix. Well, Todd and him were college roommates down at Richmond. So, you know, I think, I think that whole... Look, Todd can't sit at the big boys' table on draft day, on Thursday night. I mean, he's like, remember at Thanksgiving where you got to sit at the little kids' table? Well, Todd's right. at the kids' table at Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, that's not fair to Todd. I mean, Todd's working his ass off. Mel's up there, you know. So I could see where Todd would say, you know what? I want to get with a guy. Guy's got a six-year contract. You know, maybe it's time for me to just to break away from this. I can't seem to upsert the uh, Todd. I can't get past, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mel, every time I turn around, Todd's with Mel, you almost think they're Siamese twins. Like, you know, they're never not together, right? So yeah. I, I think if he has a chance to go with Joe, I would suspect it. I mean, Savage, Phil's always going to, you know, Phil's was in Baltimore with Joe. That's where he started out. I'm sure Phil hired Joe. So I think Phil would like nothing more than to be an area scout, live in Mobile, Alabama, cover the Southeast Conference, get to go to a bunch of different games. I think that would make Phil happy at this point. I mean, he left the Senior Bowl because he wanted to do more things. He wanted to go run that XFL team or whatever that, that Polian League team was. He wanted to do that. But for the most part, I think he would be content to just, like, 
work an area and do that. I mean, look, the, I, I'll tell you one thing I give Joe Douglas credit for. Have you seen the, have you seen the, he's got incredible press. Like he gets incredible press. I mean, he's never made a pick, but he gets incredible press. My hat's off to him. I really think it goes back to the Eric DaCosta school. I think if Joe Biden were smart, he'd hire Eric DaCosta to be his campaign manager. He'd win the he win the he win easily. But Joe Biden, he's prone to those gaffes all the time. He'll make a gaffe. I, I don't God, care. Joe. I don't care. The PR that comes out of those guys in Baltimore is freaking remarkable. It's remarkable. <laughs> like, they went to a school. Like, look, I, I'm not saying Joe Douglas isn't very good, and I'm not jealous or anything. I'm just saying they get incredible PR. Like, the one thing I've learned in life, if you don't make a mistake as an area scout, you, 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 you've you never learned anything. Like, you can't do anything. And I think – I remember one time, you know, I wrote about the book where a guy's admitting, you know, he's taking credit for all these players. I was at UNLV last week. I just got a picture of Randall Cunningham. You know, and this guy was telling me how Randall Cunningham was a disaster. We should have never picked him. And then seven years later, he writes me a letter saying, you know what? I was the reason why we picked Randall Cunningham. Okay, really? Seriously? No, it's brutal. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, come on. Uh, what can you tell you about Chad Alexander? He's also one of the names that could be a part of with Joe Douglas and the Jets. I, I think it's going to go back to that Baltimore days. It's going to be interesting. I think Joe is, you know, he was brought up in the Baltimore system, which that Baltimore system has ties to the New England system. Now, Ozzie modified it. When Ozzie was first with us, when he came upstairs, when he was a player, he came upstairs and he worked as like a special assistant, whatever he was. But he learned the New England Patriots system. He learned the Cleveland Browns scouting manual. And then he and Savage, when they went to Baltimore, when Belichick and I got fired and they all went to Baltimore, they kind of kept that in place, utilized that Savage is more of the grading system of tell me the rounds. So he's an old school scout. So I, I think all those guys that are in that integrated in that system, I think have done it. Now, when, when Douglas went to Philadelphia – that system kind of was in place there because of a guy named Ed Manowitz, who's now an agent at CAA, used to be there. He kind of put it in, and I think Joe added to it. So they're system-based, and I think any guy that understands the system, I think will go with them. Uh, other personnel decisions after firing their GM, Brian Gain, where do the Texans go from here? What'd you make of this decision? Well, I think this. I think when you look at this, it's, it's pretty clear. I think it, it came down to... You know, they hired a guy named Jack Easterby, who was with us in New England. Jack's a, a really a very good team builder. And Jack uh, is uh, a, a minister. He has a fellow. He has a he has a church and he also understands football. And so he kind of got hit after the Patriot thing. His contract was up. He never was, you know, he, at the end of the Patriots, he got full time. But I was there. He would come in two or three days a week and then leave. He got this gig. He had about four or five job interviews around the league, you know, Miami because of uh, Brian Flores, Houston. He got this job. Now, the dynamic is when he got the job in Houston, he reports to Cal McNair. Billy O'Brien reports to Cal McNair. So those two guys report to the owner. To me, this seems really like they want to hire Nick Cesario. Now, whether they can or not, the last time when Nick was – when they wanted to talk to Nick before, that the Patriots were in the playoffs – and there was they, they basically said no. Now all they have to do is prove that Nick will have control of the 53 and they can't deny it. Now Nick could say he doesn't want to do it, but my sense of this is the way they've done this. They interviewed Ray Farmer, they interviewed Martin Mayhew, so they they took care of the Rooney rule initially. So now it tells me that they're ready and primed to hire Nick if they want to do that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nick took the job. I think at, at I think there's always a time where you have to change. 
And New England's got Monty Osserdorf, and they've got Dave Ziegler there, both two guys who have worked really hard for Belichick. I think both guys would do a really good job if Nick were to leave. I think they've got pieces in place, but I think the dynamic in Houston is interesting. I think that Easterby has really become a power broker down there. I think he's in charge of a lot of things and reports to Cal McNair, who, by the way, is very spiritual himself. So I'm sure they get along really well. Interesting with developments there with Houston. Meantime, on the field, Minnesota Vikings today and Kyle Rudolph from the state of Manhattan and Minnesota, excuse me, reportedly signing a four-year extension. Uh, signing this deal, the same day the Vikings being in the three-day mandatory minicamp. So the deal, Mike, $36 million over four years. The new deal expected to lower his cap hit of 7.625, which would help the Vikings with their current salary cap situation. Uh, they had less than $1.3 million in cap space prior to negotiating the terms of the deal. So how does this equate for both for Rudolph and for the team? Well, they had to do something with Rudolph because they weren't going to be able to afford their rookies if they didn't do something. They had to create some kind of cap room. Now, this really affects the team in 2020. I mean, this is really, they'll fit them in. They basically, what they're saying is, we want to keep this team together and we'll deal with 2020 when we get there. When they get to 2020, you know, they're already at $188 million of the cap. So they're already kind of bustled up there. They've got, they're going to have, you know, Kirk Cousins will be at $31 million. Stephon Diggs is going to count at $14.5 million. Daniel Hunter's at 14 I mean, they're going to have three, six, nine. They're going to have 11 players, not counting not counting Rudolph, over $10 million. Now, Everson Griffin can come off their cap so they could get rid of him. Joe, uh, Joe Linville, he's at 13.3 on their cap. So, you know, they've got an expensive team. That owner has put money where it is. But what it, they did here with this contract is basically they said, look, we might as well extend them. We're going to buy this thing out. It'll be Cousins' last year of the deal. We're going to give this team a chance to run, and we'll see where we are. If in, if in two years they don't do it, they're going to probably start all over again. Right. So like you said, he could be there to 2023, but that's not necessarily guaranteed depending on how things go for the Vikings. Yeah. No, I mean, look, they got to make a decision. I mean, does Cousins, you know, he's at 31 million cap hit 2020. The next two years, it's what it's all about. I mean, it's really all about Minnesota. Minnesota has to put it together for the next two years. If they don't, then I think it's going to be problematic for them, but they have to put it together the next two years. If not, I think it'll be, be tough. I mean, because they're bouncing everything on the fact that Cousins is going to be able to lead them down the promised land. And look, they kept their team together. Their offensive line's much better. And like I said, Gary Kubiak comes in there. I think that makes Dalvin Cook much better. I think it makes the offense much better. And if they play from in front, which is what Kubiak's specialty is, to build that lead with Mike Zimmer's third down defense, this is going to be a really hard team to play. And talk about a guy you believe in. The Eagles do that with Carson Wentz. $128 million extension, including $107.9 million guaranteed. That's a $66 million due at signing. That can escalate to $144 million. So the total deal now, six years for $154, can grow to a max of $170. Those seem like big numbers, but honestly, Mike, it's not like the Eagles are going to give that money to Nick Foles. It's not like there's another franchise quarterback lurking. He's their guy. I know injuries have been a concern for a couple of years, but when he's been effective, he's been tremendous. To me, it seems like a no-brainer all the way around. Uh, it's a no-brainer for me. I mean, I think, look, 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 the one thing you've got to accept the fact that it's going to get more and more expensive. And when you can nip it, right now and you can cut your losses this is what happens so many times you know i would walk into modell's office and say hey it's going to cost us x amount to sign this oh, i'll never sign that player for that much and of course naturally he signs them for twice as much 
<laughs> because you negotiate against yourself, right? You negotiate right. against yourself. You sit there and say, oh, he's not worth that. Well, he's not worth it. To be honest with you, no player's worth what they're getting paid. It's the market. Once you accept it, that it's the market, you got to get past it, you know? And so, and you realize that it's only going to go up. You end up negotiating against yourself. I mean, I talked to a bunch of basketball guys lately, and they were talking about how the Milwaukee Bucks didn't want to sign this player, or Jason Kidd was talking about how he thought when they needed to sign this player. And of course, the Bucks ownership said, no, no, we're not signing. It's too much. Now they want to sign him, right? It's like that initial reaction is so hard. I think the Eagles are smart to be progressive. They sign Wentz. I think the interesting one's going to be really is what do – the Rams do with Goff. Now, they're going to sign Goff. There's no doubt they're going to sign Goff. But what do they pay Goff? And before we read on PFT what it's worth, right, we're going to see it, you know, some one of the guys will come out and say, Jared Goff just signed a six-year, $200 million, and he's the highest paid quarter. Timeout. Let's analyze the contract. Let's see really what's in it. And let's see if it's year to year or if it's truly a guaranteed deal for four, if it's a guaranteed for three. I think Goff gets signed, but I think there's going to be triggers in that deal where the Rams could get out if they had to. Yeah, it could be interesting to see how he does, especially this season after the spotlight was so bright a season ago. Uh, now we go back to our Kevin Durant topic, off the topic, but we'll make it related to the NFL. In this instance, Mike, so you're playing a superstar player less than 100% in an elimination game. So... He's going to own the free agent market, coming off a bad injury, understanding the NBA and NFL are two different rhythms. But honestly, if you were the GM of the Warriors last night, it's a must-win game. It's an elimination game. You could lose Durant in the offseason. How tricky is that to let the guy play versus not? I mean, last night obviously was the worst-case scenario in that he played was effective than Ripsy Kelly's. But I, I think your point is clear, which is that it was a calf injury, which was much worse than any of us realized. The Achilles isn't related to that, but, but bottom line is this, he wasn't 100%, and that's when freak injuries occur, right? Yeah, no doubt. And I think that, look, the, the one thing you, got, you have to do is no matter what the level of the game is, if the trainer says the kid can't is going to get hurt for further, you can't play the guy. you got to back him off. I, I don't get that sense. I, I got the sense before the game when, when Mark Jackson was doing his soliloquy for, with that bad suit that it was really about, you know, that Durant told them when he was going to play. Like, I think a lot of people thought Durant was going to play in game four. I, I wasn't sure. I think this is one of those where, look, I think move this thing forward. Who pays them the money? Who risks it for, you know, now you know it'll be a two-year deal because I'm going to pay you a lot of money for one year while I rehab you, and then I'm gonna, you're going to come back. So I can't imagine somebody's going to give them a five-year max deal. But just hypothetically, say you're the Lakers. Do you sign them and offer them a two-year deal knowing you're going to get them in the second year? And what are you getting? I mean, I think when you watch Boogie Cousins and you see he's coming off the Achilles, what he looks like, how does he play? I mean, watching Durant last night in warm-ups, you know, during the – you know, the game starts at nine, but we don't tip off till nine ten. Like, do we really need to go 10 extra minutes? Like, we've just watched <laughs> Michelle Beadle and Jalen. We've just watched them for tw a half hour, right? Like, can't right. we just tip it off at 9.01? <laughs> I mean, too much I, I, love the, oh, I love O Canada. I could listen to that national anthem all the time. But, I mean, do I really have to? Seriously. I mean, <laughs> like, shouldn't that be all done before? I know. The pageantry is accepted. When you look at it at 1150 when you're going to bed, and 60% of the population lives east of Chicago. Do you think it's people, like, you know what? I mean, people just said, look, I just go to YouTube at the end of the night. I mean, I do it. Right. I go to YouTube today. You can go to YouTube. You type in Raptors, Warriors, and you can watch every made basket on YouTube. Now, what's wrong with that? You know, it's a lot more economical. Yeah, I mean, or do what you do. Take a nap during the game. Like, just take do. a spot. Go third quarter. You know what? I'm going to get 20 I'm, minutes I'm out. Here. Like, I can't, you know, it's like... <laughs> 
You know, it's funny. You know, you're old. When I was a kid, I went over to this gym, and and one of my buddies filled out it. His father was joined the gym, you know, and they put down his goal, and and and, and so instead of the father putting the goal, the, the son put in there. His goal is to stay awake past eight thirty. And man, we laughed our asses off. You know, that's actually my goal now is to stay awake past eight thirty. Uh, that's a win. Um, in terms of non-NFL stories, the serious story involving the Red Sox legend David Ortiz. He was stable after a shooting in the Dominican Republic. This story was stunning, Mike. Working on Change Up, our baseball show in zone. we were just astonished. Like, wait, Poppy got shot by a guy in the back at nearly point-blank range. This was Sunday night. The good news is he's now in stable condition. They flew him from the Dominican Republic to Boston now. But you talk about a larger-than-life personality, beloved in baseball. I mean, President Barack Obama's tweeting at him i mean this was this was a scary one when you hear poppy was shot yeah no i mean that's really and something's going on at the dominican republic i mean something's happening i don't understand it like something's going on there and i i, I you got to be concerned about that and thankfully he's okay but you hear somebody gets shot in the back and they're not paralyzed how lucky are you yeah I mean, God, you know, count your lucky stars. I think the other topic that that has been beating around that, you know, uh, that we haven't talked about on this show that I've been keeping a track. I'm going next week on Thursday. It'll be uh, 49 days since it came out. But the Tyreek Hill thing. Yeah. You know, now we're hearing that the, the investigation is closed, that they've concluded that the young child wasn't his arm wasn't broken by either parent. But yet he had welts and bruises on his body, and he's in protective custody. So I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see what actually the league does with this one. We know he came into the league with Noah's suspension. You know, it's, you know what cracks me up is people actually get mad at me on Twitter for counting it. Like, there's a child involved in this, right? Like, can't you separate your fandom to the welfare of a kid? The kid's still not back with either parent. Now, they, the parents have split up. But I, I, I'm going to be fascinated to see where a league that deemed pumping up footballs as a, a horrendous crime, which was never proven, by the way, to a child abuse case, which is still ongoing. I mean, the, 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 the civil, the, they're still looking into it. I, I wonder how the league's going to handle this. I really do. Yeah, you're right. And it's been a continuing saga. It's just a bad look. It goes back to what the criticism of Roger Goodell is, is that he doesn't act swiftly enough. And in so doing, even when he does, the punishments are, are non-binary. It just doesn't make sense when you add it all up. Yeah, no. And if people say, well, you don't talk about the Robert Kraft. Look, the Robert Kraft, there's a due process with that, right? I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that there's not. Uh, okay. And I'm, I'm suggesting whatever happens. However, what this is, is we know a child isn't with his parent. And somebody, and we know that this guy entered the National Football League without having to serve one day of suspension for being thrown out of Oklahoma State. To me, I think that that should give the commissioner enough to say, wait a minute, hold on. There's something here. And then, you know, we've kind of forgotten about that video, that audio tape. Mm-hmm. How do you forget that? That was probably one of the most chilling parts of it, right? You hear that and you go, oh my God, how could this guy yeah. talk with behavior like that? And, and then we suspended it. Adrian Peterson got suspended for spanking his child. Which, you know, I mean, there's precedent here. So I just think this is going to be interesting. I think this whole notion that they're not investigated doesn't mean that there's something didn't happen. Yeah, and you're right. We're just going to have to keep waiting for eventually when this verdict comes out. But day 49, that's crazy to me when you, the fact that you mentioned it's been that long. Speaking of players who've had checkered pass and pass they'd like to forget and atoning, That'd be Johnny Manziel. He's interested in playing for Houston in the XFL. The free agent quarterback saying he wanted to play for the Houston team. 
because he could play in his home state, be reunited with Coach June Jones. He discussed the XFL possibilities of multiple reporters. He, by the way, you also remember, by the way, Mike, he went to John Manziel for a little bit. He's he tried it for four or five days, just didn't fit right. So he's back to being Johnny again, although he's not quite Johnny football. What do you think? If you're the XFL, if you're Houston, do you give Manziel a shot? I, I mean, look, I think that's what the league's selling itself on, the fact that they can develop quarterbacks. I mean, look at Detroit's backup quarterback situation. They cut Connor Cook yesterday. They signed David Fells, who's bounced around the league numerous times from San Jose State. And they have Tom Savage. I mean, there's a dire need. There's a huge void for backup quarterbacks being developed. And, and I think that if you're that league and you've got funding by the, the owner of the league, which is only one man, you know, there's Vince McMahon. I think you take a chance. And if the kid just pisses down his leg and does something that's inappropriate, you get rid of him. I mean, look, you know, he's entitled to a, a, another chance. I, I mean, he went up to Canada. I'm not saying he played well up there, but you take a look at him and see what he is. This league needs somebody. Now, he's going to have to prove it over and over again because nobody's going to touch him if he doesn't. Yeah, bottom line is maybe he gives you a little bit of sizzle. And like you said, it's a risk versus war, right? It's low risk, but you're not expecting much out of him. So if he actually gives you something, hey, congratulations, Benzel's back. Even better. I mean, they're going to have to find quarterbacks. I mean, Garrett Gilkey was in that other league, and hell, he can't even hold a job in the NFL. They're going to have to find quarterbacks that could do it. Now, Garrett Gilkey played for June Jones at SMU, so we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. I mean, he was the kid that came in the Texas game, you know, when Texas when when uh, uh, the USC was playing, he had to fill in. I think for uh, he filled in for uh, my man in Washington. Sam Darnold, no, I think he filled in for my man in uh, in Colt McCoy. I think Colt, when the Colt McCoy got hurt in that game, and then he came in and filled in. You know, Colt McCoy at the Redskins got hurt. Isn't that just like one sentence you say, Colt McCoy got hurt? Is like, do you ever not like say that? <laughs> it's evergreen, meaning you can use it anytime. Exactly. Uh, those, those are the topics of the GM Shuffle. Let's shift over what we've been doing here as far as divisions. We turn our attention towards the AFC West going over under. This is via ESPN in terms of the Super Bowl odds. So we start, Mike, with the Chiefs. They are 6-1 to one overall to win it all, 3-1 to one to win the division. And the over-under, which is what you would like to focus on, 10.5. Your boy Patrick Mahomes is back again, ready to throw 40-plus touchdowns, win another MVP, Andy Reid offense. 10.5, you taking the over or uh, the under? No, I, I'm, I'm leaning here. Like I think what you have to do, if you're, if you're an analyst here, is you have to say, Hill's going to miss some games. So I'm gonna, I think they get to 10. I don't think they get to 10.5. So, I mean, for you to make money, you've got to sit there and say they're not going to be an 11-win team. I don't see them as an 11-win team. I think if uh, because they're going to have to – I mean, Hill, I think he's got to get suspended, right? I mean, he's going to have to. Now, have they improved on defense? I haven't seen it. We're going to have to see whether they've improved. Because the one thing I do know about Steve Spagnuolo's defense, they talk about all the blitzes. There'll be some free access touchdowns because they're going to make some mental mistakes defensively. I can promise you that. I know they got the honey badger back there to shift it around, to say, okay, he can make the right calls. But to me, no running back. If they lose Hill, all the burdens on Sammy Watkins. Mahomes is great. That defense still isn't a problem. I say they 10-win team. Now, if Tyreek Hill doesn't get suspended, yeah, I do think they win 11. All right, how about the L.A. Chargers? 16-1 to to win it all, 8-1 to to win the division. Over under at 9.5. How much does Phillip Rivers have left as he's – Eyeing 40, not quite yet there. But uh, charges, what do you think? I love this over. I love this one over. I love you love the defense. Yeah, I love. I think the defense is good. I think it'll be stronger this year. I, you know, if they could keep Bosa on the field the whole time, I mean, him and Melvin Ingram are a problem to block. Their corner situation, I think, has gotten better. And look, they're a good football team. Their offensive line has to get better, but I think they will. I, I like them. I, if they don't have any bonehead plays, what they win twelve games last year. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, you're asking a team to take a three game, a two game step back. I think they get to ten wins. I do. I do think they get to ten wins. It's crazy. Last year, too, twelve wins, and you go either you're going to get the one seed or the five seed. It was so critical. It's a, yeah, down and the I mean, and, and in those twelve wins, you could have easily said they could have won a couple of those games if they just managed the game right. I think the fascinating what makes the Chargers uh, the team over is they're so damn good on the road. They stink at home because they don't have a home field, but they're really good on the road. They develop mental toughness that way. Yeah, it's like you're in L.A. and nobody even cares. Nobody like we cares. we got the Rams and whatever. Like nobody the cares. Chargers are not I mean, in the LA Broncos team. have, and the Raiders will have more fans in there when they play. Yeah. Speaking of the Broncos, 40-1 uh, to 1 to win the AFC, 80-1 to 1 to win it all, over under here of seven. So this really, uh, this is a question, Mike. How much do you believe in Joe Flacco? How much more does he have left now as the Broncos quarterback as John Elway tries a different guy under center? I think if they don't win eight games, I think they're all going to be disappointed. I think the, I, the reason I like the over here is I think Vic Fangio will coach them. to. I think they'll be a 500 team. I think Great defensive coordinator with the Bears, and now he's the guy. I think they'll make him. I think they'll run the ball. I think they'll play concert. Flacco won't throw many dropback passes. I think they'll throw the ball down the field. I think he'll try to make big plays, run the ball, and they'll win with defense. I, I like him. I don't like him. To, I don't like him at eighty to one, but I like him to win eight games. I think they're an eight and eight team. All right, so if they're five hundred. Here's a question we've all been waiting for: Your Oakland Raiders, eighty to one to win it all, forty to one to win the AFC. 14-1 to to win the division, and six wins over-under. I mean, if you are a Raider fan and you've spent all this money, you got to think you're winning more than six games, don't you? Absolutely. Like, you can't tell me it's not talent, right? I mean, I can't, I can't sit here and say to you, well, you know, I mean, when you start, they've added two receivers, they added a right tackle, you know, they've got running backs. I mean, they've got all this conglomeration of people. <laughs> I mean, at some point, don't you think they should at least win nine games? Like they can't cry, they can't cry deep, poor anymore. They take a guy, the fourth pick overall in the draft, who nobody had going there because they wanted to pick him. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I think the way they built this team, you're saying, hey, if you, they're forty to one to win the West, fourteen to one to win the division. I mean, think about that. They're fourteen to one to win the division, and they have the same odds as ever as Denver does uh, to to win the AFC. That's pretty crazy. So bottom line is, if you're a Raiders fan, you're definitely picking the over. Do you you think that they get the over then? I, they could I, be seven I, and nine. I think they got to right. be seven and nine. I mean, I, if the Raiders no. don't win eight games, you got to. To me, if the Raiders don't win eight games, you got to say, wait a minute, what's Gruden doing? Coaching now, because the because yeah. look at all these players, right? Everybody said, oh, now I think it's a conglomerate. I think it could self destruct easily because I think if Antonio Brown, even if they win, I think if he has two catches, you know, and they win, he might be pissed off. I mean, yeah. the the Vegas is saying to us with these odds. That they're clearly, they're clearly not sold on uh, on uh, this c- coming together as a unified group. And I think what they're also saying here is, look at this, Derek Carr. They're not sold on, and they're not sold on Joe Flacco. Right. Uh, we're skipping fantasy breakout kickers, right? We don't really care about. I don't kickers know that about. Much. Ki- I, actually, I think it's fascinating. Did you see where the Bears are having their what they call it their Lambo moment, where they're where they're bringing everybody out in the organization to it's test? Fantastic. It. Right. What a great idea. Right. I mean, they're trying to put so much pressure on the kicker to see if he can kick it. But at the end of the day, like like, is that really like I think it's more about you miss kid and this kick is either you're going to make, you you know, when you go, if a guy misses a kick, like you say to yourself, well, you know, the next we're going to give one more chance. That's a lot of pressure for a week that's on your ass. Right. And then you go line up like we had Matt Stover when he first started. When Belichick came to Cleveland, 
Matt Stover was a draft pick. I think he was a 12th round or a late draft pick of the Giants. And they stashed him on IR. They pretended he was hurt. And so then plan B came into effect. So we signed him, the great Jim Steiner, the agent of the stars. We signed him and we brought him in and he had a great leg and Bill loved him. Everything was good. Well, the first couple games, he was like, well, not so good. And we had, you know, and, and I'm like, I know nothing about kickers. I'm like, Bill, you sure about that? I mean, should we bring? So we changed long snappers to Brian Kitchen. And third game of the year, he missed a big kick. And we could have had a chance to pull it out. And we didn't. So we go to the fourth game. And now we got to play Cincinnati at home, and he's got to make the kick. And this is a classic Art Modell. You know, Art Modell's theory of kicking, if we make this kick, I'll give you everybody in the organization gets a 10-year contract extension. If we miss it, everybody's fired. I mean, that's how dramatically oh, – That's how all dramatic, or nothing. Yeah, it's all or nothing, right? So Stover drills it. And then from there he was – then if there, there was never a moment. But I think when you simulate that moment, like that moment of a week of pressure, not just a moment of pressure. Like the, there has to be consequential pressure on you to perform. And that's what I'm worried about. Like to me, I don't know if anybody's going to feel good about the Bears kicker until playoff time. It was incredible. Like what, when I think back, what happened that game against the Eagles, I mean, that was just, it was unreal. The drama, like you said, inherent in that. And that Bears team, Vic Fangio defense, I mean, it's, you're right. It definitely has uh, repercussions. If they all come out and they watch it, they're not. I think it has to be that ongoing residual pressure of the week, you know, of going home and your girlfriend or your wife say, how you doing? And you know you're in the tank. Like, and that's wearing on you. You know, it's like like you if you ever listen to Mickelson or some of those golfers that play, you know why. They, they just let it go, right? And if the kicker lets it go, maybe you got a good one. I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling the Bears have to go with a veteran kicker. Like, if I were the Bears, I would find the best short-range kicker that I possibly could and then just say, screw it, on fourth down. I'm not trying any long field goals. I'll put the ball in the great Mitchell Trubisky's hands. That would scare the shit out of me. <laughs> did I just Mitchell say – Yeah, did I just – Oxymoron. Just get a kicker. You're right. Forty yards and under. Just hit those kicks, and we're fine. You know. You know. We should. There should be like a site, like the dumbest tweets of the day. Right. Right. Like I read a tweet one time by somebody who said, "Has Mitchell Trubisky become the best quarterback in the NFC North?" No. Like, are, are these people blind? <laughs> They're just looking for clicks, Mike. They're just just stupidity looking for clicks. It's like when Howard Stern. You never. This is one of my favorite Howard Stern stories. Howard Stern, when the Pope was coming to Manhattan. Howard Stern sent Baba Bowie out on the street and started oh. asking people, do you think it's fair that Mayor Bloomberg's asking all the Jews to leave Manhattan because the Pope's coming? And people answered the question. <laughs> people answered the question. They're like, well, you know what? It's really you know, poor. The Pope oh, is coming. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, I never liked that Bloomberg guy anyway. Meanwhile, Bloomberg's Jewish. He's not leaving town. Like They never put two and two together. <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. Uh, one more NFL topic here. Articles about possible expansion for the NFL. So in terms of cities that are viable, possible cities, my hometown of Toronto, you got Chicago, maybe a second team. St. Louis gets a team back. Portland, San Diego, Oakland, Montreal, Oklahoma City. Any of these teams jump out to you, Mikey. You know what? There should be an NFL city there. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I think that the, this – because I went to speak to UNLV, the coaches, and I was in Vegas, and I was just like – the first of all, the Raider Stadium is going to be incredible. 
And UNLV has incredible facilities. And people say, yeah, but it's Vegas. How do you send kids to UNLV? You know, the Strip's so damn expensive. They can't. No college kid can go hang out on the Strip. You know, like, you're not going to some strip club in Vegas if you're in college. You can't afford to pay the cover to get in the goddamn place. So, (laughs) you know, and so anyway, so uh, I I think to me, you know, Vegas was a goldmine that the Raiders just really figured it out. The one that I have a hard time is, like, I don't understand London. Like, we can get to London quickly. Like, I would go to London. I, I, I think London should be one of those. Before Montreal, I think Toronto, but I think it's got to be Buffalo. Is that market big enough to handle two teams, Toronto and Buffalo? You know, San Diego deserves, you know, do they deserve another team? Uh, you know, Oakland, I don't see that happening because of the Bay Area. Portland would be an interesting city. I was going to say, Portland might be interesting, right? I mean, Seattle, you get a rivalry there. You get fans from Vancouver coming down. I mean, Portland, emerging power. What about Oklahoma City? A little small? I mean, plus it's a college town, right? Don't you think that, like, the Sooners, you know, I'm going to go to Vancouver this week. I I have to speak in Vancouver, which I'm jacked for, but I've never been to Vancouver before. But I would think, to me, that that Northwest, Portland, there's, like, some really diehard fans there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that could be a place. Or I would go to, you know, like London. I think like, there should be a team in London. Not, you know, Jacksonville has fans. But seriously, when you look at this, like I was with, when I was uh, last week, I had somebody from Australian Rules Football spend time with me. And uh, and it was amazing how, how popular that sport is. Like you could see the passion that these European countries have in pro football. I would definitely think about it. Yeah, it would be interesting. And you're right. In terms of travel now, I mean, five hours, it's not like you're traveling and right away you're playing. You, you get acclimated to it. It's It would be a challenge, I'm sure, for some of the West Coast teams. But bottom line is we'll see what happens. Last topic here for you, unrelated to football, Mike. The Sopranos, June 10th, 2007. That's right. This past Monday was the anniversary, the 12-year anniversary of the season finale which meant I had to go back and rewatch just the final episode at least, all the different clues and stuff. So Tony Soprano's house is for sale, $3.4 million. Apparently, it's wildly overpriced. A lot of houses of similar style in the area are going for between $1.5 and $2 million. But the owner's saying, listen, I mean, Tony Soprano was here, yeah. $3.4 million. They said all the stories, Mike, of fans that go there and they buy like the Newark Star Ledger and they just put it on the on the driveway and take a picture and wearing a bathrobe. What am I laughing at? I would do that. I mean, what am I laughing at? I would do that. Absolutely. Bottom line is, where were you? Where were you when the finale happened? Do you remember what your reaction was? When it I was in Oakland, California. I, Millie and I were at a party with a with, with a guy named Joey the Toast. I nicknamed Joey the Toast because he loved to drink tequila, and every time he drank tequila, he wanted to make a toast. My dear friend Pat Nolan and his wife, we were all there. And when it went black, everybody thought the TV went out. Like I'm still <laughs> perplexed. Like I'm still. And this is the thing. At the time, where you, like, I was angry at the time. I go, oh come on, like it's a cop out. We don't know what happened. But now, I'm, in retrospect, I'm like. It's brilliant because Chase left it open to interpretation, which was gutsy. I mean, it seems like everything in my life, though, never gets explained. Like, I can't figure out what American Pie means. I don't I don't know who killed JFK. <laughs> I got no ending on The Sopranos. Like, these things are starting to right. add up, but I'm getting older, and I, I'm not answering any of them. Like, I'm not – at least Carly Simon told me what You're So Vain was about. Thank right. her very much. But, I mean, like, I'm getting old here. Like, I got to get some of this shit answered before too so long. So, bottom line, you think Tony dies or he's alive? No, I think he just goes on, and I think in your mind, he's either, you know, because it only only ends too many ways. He's in jail or he gets killed. 
It never, it's never happily ever after. It's not like he's kissing uh, Carmella and they're watching, like Millie and I are watching the grandkids run around the backyard. That ain't, that ain't happening for him. When we go to Holstein's, we'll, we'll practice our parallel parking. That's what Meadow just can't, yeah, we Meadow should, just we couldn't parallel park properly. Now, you're my movie buff, so what? have you seen the Elton John movie? I haven't yet. Rocket Man. It's gotten really good reviews, though. You, you want to go see that. Got great reviews. Now, I'm dying to see Blinded by the Light about this Pakistani kid who falls in love with Spring. What a great, I wish I I wrote that. I know. Garinder Chadda is the director. She did Bennett like Beckham and it played at Sundance. My buddy Ben Lyons saw it said it's fantastic. Really? I can't wait to see it. It's coming out this month. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait. They're supposed to... And when does the when does the Tarantino movie That's not until July 27th. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And when does your podcast come out? Cinephile debuts this week. So go ahead. I know you will support me. Give it a retweet. Give it some love. I appreciate it. I'm going to love it to death. You know I last, am. Last time, by the way, speaking of Springsteen, a new album out. I know you're going to be all over that. For, the July July 14th it comes out yeah and then that which which is even better a tour so hopefully you know there's just just to see them again is just all so i can go backstage and get stiffed again but i'll do it you know i don't mind i'll do it i got, I got his harmonica right over here I'll first do it. album I of care. new material from bruce in seven years guys 59 years old still going it's amazing unbelievable all right great stuff gm shuffle as always subscriber review thanks man thanks guys